Today we're going to start our series on what a mighty God we serve. And I asked David to start the service out with that song. Uh, it's one of my favorites. And you might remember it. It's, it's an older song. It's been going around for a while. But I'll tell you, as, as Baptists, we've kind of missed on the song a little bit. All right. Uh, I know y'all sang it this morning, but maybe next week we can improve on it just a little bit, okay? Because you sing it, and it's easy to say the words, but there's just so much more to it. Maybe you've seen it done this way. It simply goes, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. And you go, I'm Baptist. I don't raise my hands. It's okay. We'll see if we can get there next week. But I love that song because it expresses that our God is mighty. He is magnificent. He is amazing. And in truth, when we sit down and we try to comprehend who God is, to be honest with you, we fall so short. But God wants us to personally know him. In fact, in Colossians 1.10, simply says that you may walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So God's desire is for us to increase in the knowledge of him. In Jeremiah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24, he says, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord. And I love it in John when Jesus was praying in John chapter 17. He prayed these words in verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So God wants us to know him. God wants us to have a relationship with him. Now, what's amazing is when you think about that is God is huge. He is vast. He is uh, enormous when it comes to the idea of trying to comprehend him. And so we're going to talk about that this morning as we begin to go into this series and talk about more of his characteristics. Now, in his book, Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology says that there are some things that are called communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. In other words, those attributes in which we can understand because we can have part of those attributes within us, but then there are attributes of God that we as human beings cannot contain. They are not a part of us, and some of those attributes are what we're going to talk about today. But when I think about God the Father, there's so many names in the Old Testament that are given to God the Father. Think about these. He's called the Abba, which is the Father. He's called Adonai, which is to say the master. He's El Elyon, the most high God. El Roy, the God who sees. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Elohim, creator. Kyrios, Lord. Theos, God. Yahweh, I am that I am. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Mekitsinikum, the Lord your sanctifier. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Roy, the Lord my shepherd. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. And Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Man, when I just think about the names of God, and to be honest with you, there are so many more, but these are some that are found in the Old Testament. He is immense, and he is amazing, and he is magnificent. And so this morning, what I want to talk to you about is three facts about God that make it hard for finite creatures to comprehend the infinite God. The first thing I want you to do is look with me in Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. 
We're going to look at verses 7 and 8. And we're going to talk about the incomprehensible God. Think about that word for just a moment. Incomprehensible. It means impossible to fully comprehend. Now, when you think about God, the truth is, is he is impossible for us to fully comprehend. And we're going to talk about why that is. But listen to what Job says, or Zephor says in Job 11, verses 7 and 8. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is high as the heaven, what canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? Think about that. He says, to understand and know God, God is higher than the heavens and he's deeper than hell. In other words, we can't gravitate to heaven on our own. We certainly can't reach to the depths of hell on our own. In other words, his understanding is so broad, it's so huge, it's impossible. Impossible. And yet, God wants us to know him even though he knows that in our own capacity, he is incomprehensible. Now, you think about this. He says this several times throughout Scripture. His greatness is incomprehensible. In Psalm 145.3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Now, you think about that when you were a kid. How many of you compared your father to other fathers? Any of you guys ever did? My dad can beat your dad up. My dad's a better athlete than your dad. My dad's smarter than your dad. Now, here's the thing. Those things can be measured. The greatness of our fathers can be measured, whether they're better at something. Why? Well, if you say he's more athletic, let's put him in a sport and find out if he's more athletic. If he's smarter, let's give him a quiz, see if he's smarter. There are ways that we can actually search those things out. But when it comes to God and to his greatness, we can't search them out. It's impossible because God has no limits. It's unbelievable. His greatness exceeds anything that we could know or think about. His power does as well. In Job 26, 14, Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him, but the thunder of his power who can understand. Think about that. The thunder of his power who can understand. Now, I understand power and I understand how it works. We use batteries. We have electricity. But here's the thing. In order for those things to generate power, there has to be power put into them. In other words, and then those generators have to continuously be fed power so that they can continue to produce power so that the lights can be turned on, the air can run, and things like that. In other words, power continues to evaporate in this world by the way of its usage. But God, even though he extends to all all man power. He gives you the very breath that you breathe. He gave you the ability to walk in here to church today. He gives you everything you need in life. He is never at all drained of one ounce of power. He never loses power. He doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't take vacations. Our God is so powerful, it is incomprehensible for us to understand that he never runs out and he never runs dry. Not only is his power incomprehensible, so are his thoughts. Psalm 139, 17 and 18. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand when I awake. I am awake, or I am still with thee. His thoughts are more than the grains of sand. Now, it's interesting. I just came from the beach. That's where we went on vacation. And we went to Myrtle Beach. That's just one beach. And if I were to sit back and try to count the grains of sand on the beach, it's impossible. Impossible. That's just one beach. Imagine his thoughts are as grand as all the beaches in the world. It contains all the sand in the world. And if you did a sand ceremony in your wedding, you can count those too. 
His thoughts are greater. They're grander. They're bigger than those things. It's amazing. And you think about this in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isn't that amazing that God's thoughts never run out? Now, how many of you, when you go to sleep, you want your brain to just shut off? Amen. That, that's one of the worst things when you go to sleep and your mind continuously runs. Imagine this. God's thoughts are constantly churning. He knows all things. And his thoughts are above and beyond our thoughts. He knows what he's doing. That's the God we serve. Not only that, but his knowledge Romans eleven thirty three and 34. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord and who hath been his counselor? Can you imagine? God doesn't need counsel. God doesn't need your help figuring out what he needs to do for your life. Even though in prayer, a lot of times we try to figure it out for God and we try to tell God what we need and we try to tell God what circumstances need to happen. Let me tell you something. God already knows it all. He has higher knowledge than you. He knows what's coming around the corner. He knows what you're about to face. He knows what you're getting ready to even say. He knows what you're going to think and he knows what you're going to pray before you even pray it. If he has that kind of wisdom and that kind of knowledge, he doesn't need your counsel. He knows what he's doing. But this God is so amazing when we think about it. I love what Eric Thenos in his article, How God is Both Incomprehensible and Knowable at the Same Time. He says, he answers the question, why is it hard for us to understand God? The first one is simply this, and I've said it many times. God is infinite and his creatures are finite. Now, I want to help give you an illustration to help you understand that. All right. This is your brain. Some of you, this may be a little big for you. All right. This is your brain. There is a certain capacity that your brain can hold content. There is only so much you can fill your mind with. Now, here's the thing. If I were to tell you to take this cup, and I'm going to do it, so please forgive me for standing in one of the choir chairs. But if I were to take this, and I were to tell you, I want you to fill this cup up with all the water that's in the baptistry. Every bit of the water in the baptistry, I want you to put it into this cup. You would look at me and you'd say, that's impossible. That's, that's unbelievable. There's no way it could happen. And you're right. It's absolutely impossible to put all the water in this cup that is in this baptistry. Now, here's the thing. Some of you would say, well, seeing as how I can't know everything about God, I'll just take a little bit. I'll take a drop. I just want enough of God. I just want to know enough about him that he can save me and take me to heaven. And that'll be enough. But there are others of you that said, you know what? I want to dig into the depths of the riches of God. And I want to fill myself up with the things of God. But even filling up this cup, when I set it here, and you can look at it, the cup is full. But guess what? It's not even touched the baptistry. It doesn't look like the waters in the baptistry have gone down. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The baptistry represents the Word of God and the knowledge that we can know about God. That cup represents your mind and how much of God you can take in. Now, here's the thing. If the baptistry represents the Bible, the oceans represent all there is to know about God. 
Now do you see how immense the God is that we serve? That cup is all you can contain. Here's the thing. Even if that's true and that's all we can contain, let's get as much of God as we can get in us. Let's learn as much as we can that God wants to show us and reveal to us because even though he is an infinite God, as finite creatures, when we think about the God we serve, it will help us in every circumstance. If you're faced with a disease, you know your God knows the disease. You know your God knows he can beat the disease. You know that your God can overcome any chances, anything that's going on in your life. He can overcome any circumstances, any problems have at your job, any problems you're having with finances, any problems you're having with your children, if you'll turn it over to him. This God that we serve is massive. And the amazing thing is, get this, he listens to us. This mighty God that created the expanse of the heavens, that created everything that we see and know, he listens to his people and he wants us to know him. He is infinite and we are finite. Number two, the perfect unity of God's attributes is far beyond the realm of human experience. God's love, wrath, grace, justice, holiness, patience, and jealousy are continually functioning in a perfectly integrated yet infinitely complex way. I'll be honest with you, there are times where we see some of the things and and we see that we understand that God is holy and we understand that God has a right to judge. But then we put that with God's mercy and love and grace and salvation And in man's eyes, it seems to run this way. But in God's perfect wisdom, it runs this way. It runs parallel, not against one another. And we can't comprehend those things, but only the God who is infinite in wisdom can contain those things. And third, he says, the effects of sin on the minds of uh, fallen humans has greatly inhibited the ability to know God. Let's be honest, our sinfulness hinders us from knowing more of God. It hinders us from desiring to want to know more of God. In fact, it hinders us because we'll make statements like, well, my God, let me just tell you something. You better be careful when you declare, well, my God, and you better back it up with Scripture and not just your own personal thoughts. Because I hear people say, well, my God would never send anybody to hell. You're correct because you don't serve the right God. Well, my God would never, you better be careful and make sure you've got Scripture to back it up because you can end up creating idolatry and creating a God in your own mind. We serve a God who is perfect in all his ways. And fourthly, he says, the sovereign wisdom of God has chosen not to reveal some things. In fact, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, there are some secret things that God does not display to us. Could you imagine if God, and I I love these books back when I was a young man and I was reading them. It's called This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness by Frank Peretti. And he said, could you imagine if God just pulled back the curtain and we could see the spiritual warfare that's going on around us? Many of us would beg him to shut the curtain. We don't want to know everything. There are some secret things that God does not reveal to us because we can't understand, fathom, or comprehend them. When you think about that, it just shows how massive and immense the God we serve is. Let's look secondly at the infinite God. Look with me in Psalm 147 and verse 5. The infinite God. Psalm 147 verse 5. Great is our Lord. And of great power, his understanding is infinite. Psalm 139 and verse 6 says this, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot contain unto it. Imagine that. God's wisdom is 
infinite. Here's what I love, what A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said. Properly, the word can be used of no created thing and of no one but God. Hence, to argue about whether or not space is infinite is to play with words. Infinitude can belong to but one. There can be no second. Only God is infinite. Can I tell you something? God knows where space ends because he created it. He's in the presence of it. He knows where everything is. He knows every planet. He knows every star. And he knows every hair on your head. His wisdom is infinite. When I think about that, that God is infinite, it is amazing because the truth is, and Scripture teaches us, that we cannot contain God. And Solomon was one of the first ones to recognize this. In 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27, when he built God a temple, he said this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built it. Isn't it amazing that we talk about God's presence? But can I just share with you something? God is present everywhere at all times. So when people say, I wonder if God is in this church, the answer is yes. I wonder if God is in this place. The answer is yes. God is everywhere present at all times. There is not a place you can go that God is not there. God is everywhere. Everywhere. Now, here's the difference. The question isn't a matter of whether God is here. It's a matter of whether God is active in our services. It's a matter of whether God decides to show himself to us in the services. It's a matter of whether the Holy Spirit unleashes himself on us in these services. That's really the question, not a matter of whether God is here, because he is here. It always amazes me when people use that verse where two or three are gathered in his name. I'm in their midst. Can I tell you something? He's in your midst when you're by yourself. He's there. He's present. There's nothing you can hide from him. So when you go into your room and turn off the lights and close the door and think you're by yourself, you're not. You're not. God is there. He is infinite. You can't contain him. We can't hold him here at Hillcrest and say that God is only here. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Not only can he not be contained, but the unfathomable riches of Christ are unsurpassable. They're uncountable. In Ephesians 3, 8, I love this. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let me tell you something. There is so much treasure in God, and it is greater than gold or silver or fine jewels. It is so much greater that God desires for us to have a knowledge of him. He wants to fill us up with a knowledge of him. But when you think about this, it is unsearchable. It means it is continuous, it is infinite, and it is beyond our grasp. Man, when I think about that, it amazes me. It makes me think of so many other characteristics. You realize that God is infinite in existence. You say, what does that mean? That he's infinite in existence. He's always been. He is the uncreated creator. Now, you might be like a child right now, and you might be asking the question that many children ask, who made God? The answer is no one. No one. God has always been. Now, it's funny. You may say, well, school teaches me that these particles collided together. I want to ask them, where did the particles come from? You want to believe in particles over an uncreated creator who created the particles? It shows the fallacy of your beliefs if you believe in the Big Bang Theory. 
There is an uncreated architect who designed everything that we know and exist. You are not by chance, and you're certainly not a mistake. God made you just the way he wanted you. When I think about that, he is infinite. He has always existed, and no one existed before him. And here's the thing. What's hard for us to comprehend is this. We understand. We can see things having a beginning. We can comprehend that what? That there may be no end. But what we can't comprehend is that something doesn't have a beginning. Because in our eyes, everything has to start. But God, that's how amazing he is. Not only that, he's infinite in sufficiency. He's self-sufficient. You realize he doesn't need us, right? Now, here's the thing. Some of y'all may say, you know what? I don't need anybody either. I'm good. I can handle things on my own. Well, I'm glad you're here at church and realize you can't handle things on your own. I'm glad you surround yourself with other Christians because that's what Scripture tells us to do. But there may be somebody says, well, I can do it on my own. Well, there was a time where you couldn't do it on your own. You remember having to be changed, having to be fed, having to be carried wherever you went? Could you imagine if once you let the, once the baby came out, you just set it on its own and said, I hope you survive. We would never do that. We would consider that cruelty. But let me tell you something. God has never needed anyone. He does not need anyone now. And he will never need anyone. He is sufficient in himself. That's the amazing God we serve. But isn't it amazing that even though he is sufficient without us, he wants us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And he wants us so much that he sent his son, who he does need, to die on a cross for your sins and mine so that we might be able to get to him, so that he might bridge the gap so we can be with him. Yeah, he's self-sufficient, but he still wants you. He's infinite in power. He's omnipotent. We've talked about it. He never drains of any power. He's infinite in space and presence. He's everywhere present at all times. He is infinite in knowledge. He's omniscient. He knows your very thoughts. He knows everything that's going on. He's infinite in perfection. He's holy, righteous, sinless, perfect. And guess what? He never changes and he never needs to because he's perfect. He's not only infinite in perfection, he's infinite in time. He's eternal. He's always existed and he always will exist. He's infinite in creative power. He created everything that we know out of nothing. We have many inventors and many people that discover things, but you can only invent with what God has already given you to invent from. God started with nothing. He's not only infinite in creative power, he's infinite in nature. In other words, nature does not bind him. He's supernatural and he can supersede the laws of nature. And when he made blind men see by putting mud on their eyes, I promise you, it wasn't the mud, it was Jesus when he gave the guy, he stuck his finger and touched his mouth and made him be able to talk. It wasn't his spit. It was Jesus. When he told Lazarus to come up out of the grave, it wasn't the words that he spoke to Lazarus. It was Jesus who raised him from the dead. Why? Because nature has no power over the God we serve. He's infinite in mercy, grace, and love. And that's why you can be saved. His love is beyond our comprehension. Why? He would love us is mind-blowing, but he's infinite in these things. Lastly, I want us to look at the spiritual God. Look with me in John 4. John 4 and verse 24. This is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, and he says these words, God is a spirit, 
And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Wayne Grudem says this about that. God's spirituality means that God exists as a being that is not made of any matter. He has no parts or dimensions, is unable to be perceived by our bodily senses, and is more excellent than any other kind of existence. You get that, right? What always blows me away is people don't fully comprehend Exodus chapter 20 and one of the Ten Commandments that God prescribed. In Exodus 20 and verse 4, he says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. In other words, you know what that commandment is teaching us? It's telling us? It's telling us this. There is nothing that we can use in this world that compares to God. God doesn't look like a golden calf that Aaron made. Why? Because he's not a cow. God doesn't look like a bird idol that many of them made. Why? Because God is not of the air. God doesn't look like any sea creatures. And you ready for this? God does not look like you and me. He doesn't. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus came in the form of a man. Yes, he did. He came down as a man so that he might die for our sins. But that doesn't mean that we look like him. Somebody will say, well, wait a minute, Brother John. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God. Have you ever really thought about what that means? Made in the image of God. Do you really believe that God has two eyes, one nose, one mouth, two ears, two hands, two feet? Is that what you believe about God? Because that's not what Scripture teaches. It doesn't teach that at all. You say, well, what do you mean it doesn't teach that? How are we made in the image of God then? Let me share with you something. You can go back and read this in Genesis. Adam was created in the image of God, was he not? You know what Adam was created as? He was created as a perfect being, sinless and without imperfections until he chose to sin. You realize that when Seth was created, what it said about Seth? It didn't say that Seth was created in the image of God. It said he was created in the image of Adam in his fallenness. The only one ever said to be created in the image of God was Adam. Just Adam. Because he was perfect when God created him. There was no fallacy within him. And then he sinned and he failed. And we're created in the image of Adam. And that's why Romans 5 teaches us what? That we better adhere to the second Adam. That we better come to a knowledge of the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam brings life. The first Adam brought eternal death. The second Adam brings eternal life. We are not in the image of God. We are the image of Adam because of our sinfulness. So what is the image of God? His perfection. How do we know what God looks like? We don't. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Listen to this. Now under the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. You ever seen anything invisible? That's why it's called invisible. 1 Timothy 6, verse 16. Listen to this. Who, hath, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen. Not only can we not approach this light, but we can't even see this light. So how can we describe God the way we describe man? We can't, because God's not a man. Some of y'all are going to walk out of here and say, that preacher's crazy. That's okay, just look it up. I promise you, read the book. See, that's the amazing thing. We've been taught so many things that are unscriptural and just believed them for so long. God is incomprehensible. 
You say, well, wait a minute, brother. I know that there are images of God in Scripture, and they talk about it. Because listen to Isaiah 65, 2. I've spread out my hands all the day under a rebellious people, which walketh in the way that was good. Did God not say he had hands? And what about feet? Psalm 8, 6. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Oh, what about this? He's got eyes. 1 Kings 8, 29. That thine eyes may be open toward this house nice and day, night and day, and even toward the place of which he has said, my name shall be there. What about ears? In Nehemiah 1, 6. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear us the prayer of the servant. You want to know why I think that they use these things called anthropomorphisms? They had to bring man down, they had to bring God down enough that we might could fathom and understand That God has hands, it just means he's simply at work. That God has feet simply means he's on the move. That God has eyes simply means he sees all things. That God has ears simply means he can hear everything you say. We don't know what God looks like. And isn't it funny, some of y'all say, well, I know what Jesus looks like. No, you don't. Because he ain't white. That drives me crazy. Every store I can go into, Jesus is white in pictures and he's white in sculptures. He's Jewish. Why do we try to make him look like us? He's not us. The problem is, is we try to bring God down to our level. Man, long ago, there was a very best-selling book, very popular, called The Shack. I hope you didn't read it. I hope you didn't waste your time on it. It was a book trying to bring God down to man's level, and it was pure garbage. Oh, but it was a bestseller. Trust me, they're best-selling garbage. There's plenty of it out there. You can find Joel Osteen on the same list. <laughs> but there was another book that was put out there that a lot of people talked about that said it was great, and it was called Wild at Heart, and it was a book for men to teach men how to know God. But again, it brought God down to such a level so that man could comprehend it. Let me explain something to you. Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to bring God down to your level. I want to lift you up to God's level. I want you to know all there is that we can know about God because the God that I serve is so much greater than I am and so much greater than you are. The God that I serve is magnificent and amazing and he's incomparable there is nothing in this world that is anything like the God we serve nothing and there's certainly nothing like the love of God either his love is so immense to think that the God we serve who created all that we know and see and even though we walked away in sin he died so that we might have eternal life with him man when I think about the God that we serve yes he's infinite but he wants you to know him personally This God that we serve is so amazing. And I don't want to dumb him down so that you understand who he is. I want to raise you up so that you can see him for who he really is. The God we serve, when you begin to understand the God we serve, when we sing the songs that we sing, man, it will pour out of you. Because you'll know who you're singing to. And you'll know what a joy it is to be in his presence. Man, God is immense. You say, well, what does that mean for me today? What means several things for you today? Number one, if you're not a Christian, it means you understand that the infinite God who created all things loves you more than you could ever imagine, so much so that he died for you so that you might have eternal life. For those of us that are Christians, it simply means this. This God who wants to be personal in your lives, 
He wants you to know as much as you can know about him. The problem is it isn't God. It's your mind is too small. And God wants to fill it up. And he wants to open it up. And he wants to use you to fulfill his purposes and his glory. Will you be a part of that? You see, this is the God we serve. And whatever you're faced with, know this. The God that we serve is greater than anything you'll ever face. He knows what he's doing. And he is never surprised by anything. That's the God we serve.